Welcome. Good morning. My name is Ross. So glad that you are here this morning. And y'all are looking good. Very dapper. Most of you. Most of you. Just kidding. Hey, uh, we are just thrilled that you are here this morning. We're here this morning. We've gathered together this morning to celebrate, to remember, uh, for some of us perhaps to investigate this occasion, this event, or this claim that's unique to the Christian faith. And that claim, that event that we are uh, advocating this morning is the claim that he is risen. That Jesus Christ, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, but three days later, he was resurrected. He came back to life. And we believe that that claim, that event, not only altered history, but it also changes lives. So we're joining millions of people around the world this morning and millions of people who have lived prior to us to celebrate and to ponder and to be reminded of that great news of that great event of Jesus. And the Bible, the Bible calls it news. It actually uses the word gospel in our Bible. And if you've heard that word, you may not know what it means, but the word gospel means good news. And the biblical authors were intentional about using that word gospel because they wanted us to know that the good news of Jesus about his resurrection was exactly that. It was news. It was announcement. It was not advice to follow, but it was an announcement. It was a notification. It was an alert, if you will, that something amazing has happened. And I'm sure that uh, many of you are like me. You probably woke up this morning and you took a look at your phone and you had lots of notifications. Anybody with me on this? I get notifications all throughout the day. The most popular one I get is da-na-na, da-na-na, right? Okay, did Michigan win? You know, did, did Kansas win? Uh, alerts, notifications, notices, announcements are, are com- just on us all the time. We are constantly flooded with news and announcements. But you know what? The announcement, the news that we have this morning is an announcement like none other because it's an announcement that will change your life, an announcement that changed the the course of history. And so that's what I want us to consider uh, this morning uh, in this passage where the very, for the very first sermon, the very first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the preacher, makes this announcement to those that were in that first crowd. And it's an announcement that we can't ignore, that we cannot ignore. And so if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 2, uh, I want you to see the response that the first hearers had to this announcement of Jesus' resurrection and the gospel. And you see it, uh, as Brandy read it uh, to us, in verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, the sermon that he had just preached, that we heard part of, it says, They were cut to the heart. Now there's not many things that really uh, get my attention or cause my heart to ponder that come up on my phone. But at this announcement, at this message on that first sermon of the Church of Pentecost, it says that the audience, it says that their reception of that is described as they were cut to the heart. 
Another translation says, pierced in the heart. I want us to ask the question this morning, uh, why were they pierced in the heart? Why did this news cut them so profoundly? Was it because that Peter, the guy preaching, was just so persuasive? I mean, he was like Joel Osteen before Joel Osteen. I mean, he just, he just convinced people. Was that what it was, the persuasiveness of the preacher? Was it just the fact that in the first century, people were just kind of emotional and perhaps even superstitious, and they would believe just uh, blindly that someone had risen from the dead? Was it that reason, because of their emotions or their superstitions? Or is it because, did they, were they cut to the heart because powerful, influential people were trying to convince them of this truth? And the reality is none of those things are the case as they heard this story of Jesus' resurrection, his death and his resurrection. I wanna, we see two emphasis here as we read this passage, as Brandy read it to us. Two major emphasis that I just want to highlight this morning, two reasons that they were cut to the heart. The first reason I want to suggest is that they were, they were cut to the heart, they were cut by truth. They were cut by truth. See, there's a, there's a predominant mentality and a popular idea in our culture today that religion or personal faith is, is merely just that. It's personal faith. It's a private idea. It's a matter of preference or a matter of taste or perhaps it's a matter of the culture you grew up in. So if you're born in an Asian culture, you might assimilate to an Asian religion. Or if you were uh, born in, an, in another part of the world, you might assimilate to that culture or that predominant religion. But what we see as the first Christians uh, heard this news and spread this news is that they weren't uh, advocating something that was just a matter of preference or a matter of personal choice. They were advocating something that they believed was true objectively true that had happened. It was an event. It was an announcement. And it wasn't just a one of many options, but it was something that you must believe. You needed to believe because it was true. You look in verse 22 of our passage and it talks about this man, Jesus, and it says uh, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. And as this unique teacher, this unique rabbi, this unique prophet Jesus, as he ministered in that first century, not only did he claim things, not only did he say things, but his claims were attested by miracles, mighty works and signs that he did. And Peter's saying, you've heard about these things. Some of you have witnessed these things that testify to his strength, to his power, to his claims like no other. You haven't just heard this message, but you've witnessed it. In verse 24 and verse 32, he emphasizes the greatest miracle that they were just witness to, and that is the miracle of his resurrection. If you look in verse 24, it says, God raised him up. Jesus has been risen. In verse 32, also, he repeats this and says, this, this Jesus, God raised up. The attestation of his truthfulness is is given to us because he conquered death. He was put in a tomb, and three days later he came to life. And verse 32 says, and we, Peter and some of the early disciples, we are witnesses of this. 
We've seen it with our own eyes, and we want you to believe it too because we believe he is the Lord. He is the Christ, as it will say in verse 36. They believed it to be true. They believed it to be true for everyone, not just a particular culture, not just a particular class of people, but that Jesus was God in the flesh, mighty in word and deed, and risen from the dead. Folks, the claim of Christianity is not just a claim that you can just line up among all other religious claims. It's a claim that stands unique amongst all other religions and all other claims, principally because he is risen from the dead. And witnesses saw that and they reported about it and it changed the course of history because of their witness, because of their proclamation. So the only thing one needs to do to prove Christianity false is just to find the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Just produce his body in the first century, produce his remains now, and say, no, he didn't really rise from the dead. It was all a hoax. The disciples uh, hid his body, or they were just hallucinating or something like that. But the claim of Peter in this message is that Jesus is attested in his teaching like no other. We've witnessed his resurrection in verse 33. He is now, this Jesus that died and rose from the dead, is now exalted at the right hand of God. And therefore, we want you to know, verse 36, that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. What does that mean, Lord and Christ? Lord means master. It means one who has authority over. And Peter is, is quite emphatically saying to the first century Roman world, no, you, you may think you know lords, but Jesus is the Lord of lords. The Lord over all other lords. And Christ, the Jewish people at the time of, of Jesus, they were waiting, they were awaiting this Christ, this anointed one. Anointed one means the, the one who was appointed to deliver the nation of Israel. It was someone that they were hoping for. And Peter says, this Jesus is the anointed one. He's the one you've been hoping for. He's the one that can deliver you from oppression. He's the one that can deliver you from guilt. He's the one that can deliver you from the bondage of sin. That's their, that's their claim. They were cut by the truth. The truth that Jesus is like no other, attested by his resurrection. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. But if the resurrection is not true, it, it doesn't matter. We are, and we are wasting our time here this morning, and Christianity is a farce. But if Jesus, attested by miracles, attested by his resurrection, is truly the Son of God, then the resurrection changes everything. And I just want to encourage you this morning to consider that, to look at the evidence, to look at the claim, and see if you might become convinced that Jesus really is the Lord and the Christ. Not only were they cut by the truth, but they were also cut by their guilt. It's fascinating as, as, as Peter talks to them that he puts the, the, the crucifixion of Christ on that audience. He pins it on them. If you look in verse uh, 23, 
uh, we read, it says, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. uh, Peter is telling this audience, you crucified Jesus. How can he say that? Were they the, the soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross? They weren't the ones that actually put him on the cross, but Peter is saying, you are the cause of Jesus' death. He says the same thing. He goes after him again in verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, as I just spoke about. And then he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. And maybe you're here and you have the same response as those first listeners. Like, hey, I didn't do it. It wasn't me that nailed him to the cross. Why are you blaming me? But the Bible says that, G- that we were part of Jesus' death because of our contribution to the sin and the brokenness of this world. Even those of us that didn't actually nail his hands to that cross were the cause of his death on the cross because of our ignorance of Jesus, our apathy toward Jesus, and our sin against God. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have all participated in dishonoring the name of Jesus ignoring his life or his claims or just being apathetic about who he is or what he's claimed to be. We've all contributed to his death. We're all guilty. There was a hymn writer that many of us know. He wrote that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. His name was John Newton. But John Newton wrote another uh, hymn. It's called, In Evil I Long Took Delight. And he says in the first stanza of this hymn, as he ponders his own guilt before God, he says this. He writes, My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail me there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid For I, the Lord, have slain. What does he he say? He's saying, I'm guilty. Because of my indifference towards Jesus, because of my sin, I have offended a holy God and therefore I deserve punishment. So I was a part of Jesus going to that cross by what I did. The cross of Jesus shows us how guilty we are before a holy God. The cross stands as judgment against us that we have all sinned against the holy God. And the cross calls us all guilty before him. Now, that's a humbling, sobering truth, but that's what the Bible teaches. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And therefore, the Son of God, Jesus, died on the cross as punishment for those sins. But the cross not only shows us our guilt, the cross also shows us God's grace. Because it's on the cross that Jesus absorbed that wrath, took our punishment to forgive us of all those sins, to forgive us of our indifference, of our apathy, of our ignorance of Jesus. 
And so John Newton goes on to write another stanza of that verse where he realizes that the cross not only makes him guilty, but the cross also frees him of his guilt. In the second part, he writes this. He says, a second look he gave, Jesus gave, which said to me, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou may live. Thus, while as death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. See, the, the cross not only shows us how bad our sin is, our sin is so bad that the Son of God had to bleed for us. That's how guilty we are. That's how, that's how bad our rejection of God is. It's so bad that God himself had to deal with it through Jesus. But you know what the cross also does? It seals our pardon. Because as we look at the cross, we not only see our guilt before God, but we see God's love for us. That he loved us in spite of our guilt so much that he bled on the cross. He took our punishment. And so the blood that runs down his face and down his body is the blood that forgives us of, again, of our offense against that holy God. He died because of me, he died for me. The thing that brings conviction, the cross of Jesus, is also the thing that brings us comfort. The very thing that shows our guilt is also the thing that brings our forgiveness. In the cross, we see our guilt and his grace, our sins and Christ's sacrifice. The hard truth of how depraved and bent we are, and yet the deep love of Jesus that would die and pay the penalty of all that wrongdoing, of all that guilt. The cross of Jesus knocks us down and humbles us, but it raises us up. It cuts us to the heart, but it heals us. The great physician cuts us, but he heals us through the same cross by the blood of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus, when he walked out of that tomb three days later, was his vindication, was his victory lap. He's saying, sin and death has been defeated. I conquered it through my death, burial, and now my resurrection. So he stands as the victorious one over sin, death, and the grave. So the Christian message, the message of Easter, is that you're so bad, your sins deserved the punishment of Jesus on the cross. But you're so dearly loved that the Son of God delighted to bleed for you, to forgive you of your sins. That's the good news of Jesus. And all it takes to receive that good news this morning is to simply know you're guilty and to believe it's true. To know that you're in need of a Savior because of your guilt and to know that that guilt was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. We're so bad, he had to die. But we're so loved, he was glad to die for us. And if you trust in Jesus, your guilt 
is taken away and you are given new life, reborn again, forgiven and reborn to a new life with God. That is pictured for us as Christians as we participate in baptism, which we're gonna do in just a few minutes. We get a lot of alerts. We get a lot of notifications. We get a lot of announcements. But this is an announcement, this is an alert, this is a notification that we cannot afford to ignore, to clear, to swipe away. This is the good news of Jesus that changes everything. So as our band comes forward to lead us in song of response this morning, I want to just invite you all with me right now to close your eyes and I want to invite you to respond to the good news of Jesus. The first audience, as Peter preached this sermon, the first audience, they asked a question at the end of, of his sermon, and they said, brothers, what now shall we do? And Peter responds, and Peter responds in verse 38, and he says this, he says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning, I just want to invite you right now. Do you need a Savior? Do you know, yes, thank you. Do you know that you're guilty of the good news of Easter, the good news of Resurrection Sunday is that you have a Savior in Jesus who loved you so much that he bled for you. And it's so powerful that he conquered blood and sin and death and the grave through his resurrection 2,000 years ago so that you could be made clean and walk in a relationship with God himself. He says, repent. That means change your mind. That means turn from what you're trusting in now and trust in Jesus as your savior. That faith is shown in baptism. And if you want to talk with one of us this morning, we would love to pray with you. We would love to answer your questions and we'd like to set up a time with you later to be baptized. If you came here this morning and you just want to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to pray along with me silently as I pray out loud this morning. Jesus, I realize I am guilty. Jesus, I realize that I have made other things my Lord, other things my deliverer, other things my object of worship. And I thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty of my bad deeds, for paying the punishment of my sin by nailing it to the cross. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want your Holy Spirit to come in my life and empower me. And I want to know the hope of resurrection and life to come.
If you prayed that this morning or if you have some questions you'd like to talk with someone, I want to invite you as we sing this next song to come to the back. There'll be some of our prayer team and some of our elders back there holding candles. And if you'd like to just pray with someone, maybe you're going through a hard time and you just need prayer. Maybe you want to set up a time to talk more about this good news. Would you just be courageous and take a step and come back and ask for prayer this morning as we sing this next song? If that perhaps feels like too much, maybe you just want to write on the card in front of you, one of those connection cards, just write a note to us and say, I'd like someone to follow up and talk to me. And you can put that card in one of the baskets as you leave or at the welcome tent as you leave. Just let us know you want to know more. You want to pray with someone. Father God, we give you praise this morning that the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that he is exalted at your right hand, that our sins can be forgiven by his blood and your Holy Spirit can indwell us and empower us as your sons and daughters. Father God, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this morning as our only hope, our only confidence for a world that's broken and messed up. Make it true in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Make it true in our hearts. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.